Romans. Yeah, Exodus 34. And whoever gets there first, if you could read five, uh, so Exodus 34, five through seven, please. So Exodus 34, five through seven. Uh, Ron, did I cut you off? Did you ask a question? I just asked where, where, where Exodus was. Is that after Genesis? Yep, right there. Right there. Uh, so Exodus 34, 5 through 7. Uh, whoever could get that for us this morning would be great. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations all right thank you susan um i wanted to read this passage for a couple of reasons to to lead off this morning and then we'll pray uh first of all um you know you guys know how much we like to talk about how much the bible connects to itself so you'll be reading something in genesis and it'll make you think about something in romans you'll read something in romans and it'll make you think about something in genesis and and then you know, that'll lead you to the Gospel of John. And it's just the Bible's so beautifully connected the way that the, the Spirit of God has, has, over the years, worked the Bible together through these human authors. And um, Exodus 34, 5 through 7 is the most quoted uh, couple of verses by the Bible itself. So what I mean by that is, is the Bible refers back to Exodus 34, 5 through 7, more than any other passage in the Bible. And I think one of the reasons is it's it's one of the first times that God describes himself. It's one of the first times that, that God just clearly lays out, hey, if you want to know who I am, uh, this is what I am like. And so I just wanted that in the, in the back of our minds this morning as uh, hopefully we get to Romans 3, 21 through 26 here in a bit. Uh, I want that Exodus 34 passage just kind of reverberating in the back of our minds um, in the character of God as we walk through um, those really uh, key verses we're going to get to later this morning. So let me pray for us. And then Sean, I believe you got a, a summary for us uh, of where we've been. And then Ron, I think you're going to do some, some covenant. Did you just get breakfast handed to you? My goodness. <laughs> yeah. from, the, from the most beautiful woman in the world. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what I'm getting is Rhonda could be joining our, our Romans class and participating with us, but she's making you breakfast. Yeah, but she's slaving in the kitchen. Okay, got it. Okay. Wow. Um, so anyway, let me pray for us. Uh, Sean, I'll hand it over to you. John and Connie are having a conversation right yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, John, John, John sounds hungry. John is miffed, and uh, and so <laughs> let me pray. And we'll go from there. Father, we love you so much. Um, Lord, we are reminded that you are compassionate. You're gracious. 
You're slow to anger. You're abounding in love and faithfulness. And we also know that you will not leave the guilty unpunished. And so, God, we are so grateful that uh, you are merciful is who you are, and you're also just is who you are. And so we lift up both of those things, not in contradiction, but really uh, just in how complete and whole and perfect you are as a God to be both just and merciful. And so we thank you for that as we spend time in Romans this morning being reminded of how grateful and in awe and worship of you we are, that you are just and you are also merciful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Actually, if you're okay with it, you guys, I would like to to maybe hear Ron's uh, first, simply because that then uh, right after our right after a summary, we can move right into Romans. You okay with that, okay. Ron? Are you good with that? I'm good with it. In I between just, bites like of say, breakfast. You know, I was just just preparing. Okay. I was just thinking in our life group last night. We're going through uh, Joshua and. Uh, and it was, we're in Joshua 7 and 8 right now. We just finished that last night. And where the question came up when Akon was uh, found guilty of stealing the silver and the gold and that they uh, put him, his family, his children, uh, all his belongings to death mm-hmm. by stoning. And it just reminds me of this where God does not look past, you know, from from father to grandfather to children and four generations on. Mm-hmm. And the, they said the reason that they had killed everybody, they had wanted no trace and to show how what God's judgment is on the entire lineage of the family. And I just thought how it tied into this. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to share that. Yeah, um, what I, 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 I asked last week the question, and as we all know, when we ask a question within the, uh, group we we end up getting the homework which i <laughs> i enjoy doing so i ask what is the difference between a covenant and a promise and just a little background covenant there are uh there and as far as i could see read in within the uh, areas where i was doing the research that the uh there uh, the tw- covenant is mentioned 292 times in the Bible, and there are eight major covenants of God. And promise is is mentioned 214 times in the Bible. However, there are 8,810 promises in the Bible. Okay, Covenant is designed as a, as a conditional or unconditional agreement made between two or more people for the, pers- uh, for the purpose of something specified. Or a promise is a declaration or something that will or will not be done done or given uh the two types of covenants again like i mentioned was a conditional and unconditional um an example of the conditional covenant is in exodus twenty twelve: honor your father and mother so that your days may be long so the covenant that your days will be long if you honor your mother and father there's a condition there and unconditional love is god's covenant that is an example is that he, covered, that he would never curse the ground again because of man's evil heart. This is done by God because he is God and has no conditions. It's just because it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Again, a promise is an agreement followed by an action of parties involved, usually used in legal terms and binding, i.e. marriage vows, paying a loan, where you have, you know, it's, 
yes, in the we we treat the um, should treat our marriage vows as a unconditional covenant. However, it's done as a as marriage vows where we, we I guess we we promise to love, cherish, honor uh, for, for the rest of our lives. So that is a a promise. But I, in many ways, I think it should be a uh, uh, unconditional covenant with not conditions, because we, if we have conditions, then it, it appears that something could be broken. So that is my my difference my difference between the two. Again, one is a used in legal and binding terms, and one is a, uh, a declaration. Uh, sorry, a conditional or unconditional agreement between two or more people with a, for the purpose of something specific specified. That was well done, Ron. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Ron. Um, okay, so we are going to do a super summarized summary today. Uh, so in chapter one, uh, Paul immediately establishes that that he has um, apostolic authority and that he was sent uh, as a messenger for the gospel. And so he moved to the latter part of chapter one into um, the reason why we need the gospel, and that is that... Um, mankind refused to acknowledge God, and because of that, their foolish hearts were darkened, etc., and they, they, the world kind of spun out of control and moved away from God rather than toward God. And so he's talking generally about the world, uh, everybody. And the Jews, in chapter 2, he goes directly after the, the Jewish culture, where the, the Jewish culture believed that because they were the called-out ones, because they were the people of God, that they held a higher, um, um, a higher, uh, uh, they were a better people than, than the, the Gentile people. And he calls them out and says, no, you, you guys are doing, you guys are judging the Gentiles for the very same things you're doing. Hmm. And so he calls them out there. He, um, in the latter part of two, he talks about um, how they're leading they're essentially the blind leading the blind. They don't even understand the mm-hmm. gospel. They're 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 putting upon the Gentiles expectations of their culture, such as circumcision, mm-hmm. etc. And and it's 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 a it's a little value without a heart change. And so Paul moves into the latter part of two, talking about um, specifically about circumcision, how the Jews believed that circumcision. Um, was was the the gatekeeper to heaven? If they were circumcised, uh, they they essentially were God's people, and they were they were in they were the in crowd. And Paul says, no, yeah, just because you're circumcised does not mean that you had a heart change. And Paul moves the their 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 ideas from a physical circumcision to a uh, spiritual circumcision, and says that the Gentiles, who in fact may not be physically circumcised. If they uphold what the law says, that uncircumcision becomes circumcision. So it becomes the same value as a hard change. And then in three, he immediately goes into, so then what's the value of circumcision? Laying out that for the Jews that, again, circumcision isn't the answer, that it's a true hard change. And we're going to get into now um, uh, the, the, the kind of the culmination of that where he got onto the Gentiles initially or got onto the world initially, then got onto the Jews explaining that they, just because they were circumcised, 
doesn't mean that they were righteous. And now he's going to to lay out for us that literally nobody is righteous and we all need Jesus. Moving back into chapter one or or reflecting back into chapter one, why he laid out the gospel. Awesome. Thank you, Sean. Any thoughts, questions you guys have on that as, as Sean laid that summary out? Observations? All right. Well, let's dive in. Genesis 3. Uh, let's have somebody read verse 9 to just kind of cut. We already talked about it last week, but this is a good segue, kind of transition into 10 through 12 for us. So Romans 3, verse 9. Who's got us? What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greek, are under sin. As it is written. No, I'm sorry, did you say ten, uh, 9 through what? Uh, just pause right there for now. Yeah, thank you, Sean. Because um, just kind of catch us back up and roll in. Um, Sean already said it in his summary, but just to see if we're all paying attention, what would you guys say, um, what's the main argument Paul has been building here for these first couple chapters? It, it seems pretty obvious that, that Paul is is building towards something. He's Especially here in chapter 3, he's about to bring something home. Uh, what is that thing that, that Paul uh, has really been stressing and emphasizing and, and building the first couple chapters? And uh, yeah, in our own words, how would you guys say that? I think you're muted, right? I, I think it's saying that you know the God Himself is is the supreme being, not 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 the created, the Creator is not the created, and that we are not any better than anybody else, and that we uh, we need to remember that you know we and that uh, God is is a just God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's really going to get to that. Anybody else along those lines? Well, um, <clears throat> according to God, we're all sinners, so there's no distinction between race or or um, upbringing. Yeah, that's, that's good. Well said. And yeah, because remember, we, we talked about this the first couple weeks quite a bit, just stressing the, the reality that Paul is writing to two very different people groups, right? Um, and so, yeah, that's very important what you said, Anne. And that's a good segue into verse 10 through 12. Somebody take 10 through 12 for us. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good, there is not even one. Thank you, Susan. Um, anybody remember, I threw it out real quickly at the end last week. Anybody remember uh, fun little acronym to remember 10 through 12? Anybody jot that one down? Rust. Yes. Oh, Connie's on it, Ann's on it, Ron, Ron's on it. Okay, tell me what rust is. It's no, like rust. None of us is righteous. None of us understands. 
None of us seeks God from our own desire and all have turned aside. Nicely done. So let me ask you this. If if the average person on the street were to ask you or me, hey, what does the Bible say about humans in our condition? Uh, what would we say? Um, how, how does it describe, how does the Bible describe um, the condition of every human being that walks this planet? Oh, oh, I heard, I heard two things here. Uh, go ahead, Connie, and then I'm not sure who else. No one is good. Yeah. Yeah, what do you guys think about that? Um, would the average person today agree with that statement? Mm, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, why does that make us so uncomfortable? Oh, it doesn't make me uncomfortable, but it makes the average person uncomfortable. Yeah, good distinction there. Do you mind saying a little more about that? Why do you think it makes the average person uncomfortable? Because the majority of people think they're good mm -hmm. and they work hard to be good and do the right thing and, um, you know, be pleasant to be around. That's, that's what they strive for, being good. Mm-hmm. All right, one more question, Connie, and I'll leave you alone, I promise. But I think, <laughs> yeah, I your think, answers uh, are so good, I'm just going to keep uh, throwing the questions society, your way. Our society is a, is a, a task-driven society, mm -hmm. and we, mm -hmm. you, know, he, you know, he who has the most toys at the end wins. Mm -hmm. And so we put our, our value in, in things and not, uh, you know, that, that can burn. You know, they said everything's going to mm. burn, it will burn in a fire, mm. you know, and it's just our eternal soul is the, is what really matters. And it mm -hmm. just has nothing to do with things. Like I said before, you've never seen a hearse pull in a U-Haul, you mm -hmm. know, you can't take it with you. You need to work on <laughs> things, you know, things here, um, people in their, their salvation. Mm -hmm. Amen. Connie, you, you made the statement that, you know, while um, the average person might be uncomfortable with that statement, you, uh, you're not. Can you tell, tell us a little bit of why that, that statement doesn't make you uncomfortable? Because that's what the Bible tells me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's it? That was the perfect answer. I know. What a good answer. Yeah. Well said. Well said. I like it. Um, uh, so no one's righteous. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Paul's been hammering this home for a while, especially from Romans 1.18 and following. But just in case we've missed it so far, he, he wants us to know we are not good people who happen to sin. We are sinners who sin. And that is true of Jew. That is true of Gentile. And so we don't have just a sin. Uh, John actually laid this out uh, really well in our men's discipleship last week. So, John, if you want to uh, chime in on this at any point, please hop in. But uh, we are not good people who sin. We are sinners who sin. And so we have both a sins problem. We need to be forgiven of our sins, but we also have a sin problem. Um, and that's we'll get more into that as Paul talks about kind of our nature and our flesh um, so it's, it's not just that we need to be forgiven of our sins, but there is an identity. There is, uh, um, a nature within us that needs to be actually put to death 
and we need to have new life with a new nature. So, John, yeah, chime in, please. <clears throat> I have a question. Uh, yeah. What do we say to people who are devout and doing what appears to be very good work um, mm. in, in the world, you know, that's making a difference? And they're, they're claiming that, you know, they're religious. Um, they claim to have a belief in God, and, um, you know, they're... they're um, Helping, helping people, you know, the homeless, uh, those are oppressed. What do we say to that uh, with, with the scripture says no one does good? Yeah, that is such a good question. I want to open that one up to the class. What would your guys' response or what would our response be to a question like that? And Dave, I'm going to lean on your statement to start the class that silence is the best art of uh, communication. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I'm, I'm the, the gentleman that I led to Lord about a month ago, my old boss after 40 years, asked that question of me the other day. He's, you know, with, well, I, you know, I understand, you know, he goes, I, I, I'm a Christian, I've accepted Christ. And he said, but I was a good person before. I did this for that one and that one and that one. And I said, but why did you do it? I said, you know, really, you know, a lot of times we do things for our own ego and make us feel good, and it's not for God's glory. Mm -hmm. And I said, if our if our good works were enough to get us into heaven, there would have been no reason for uh, God to send His Son to die for us. Mm -hmm. So it is, and it it required the the sacrifice of a perfect person in order for our sins to be forgiven. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, doing good works is not going to remove your sins. You know, two wrongs don't make a right or two rights don't make a wrong, a wrong right. So, and after the, I explained that to him that it's just our, our works are vain. So they're really dirty in many mm -hmm. ways. You know, mm -hmm. They may be perceived as being good and righteous. They are not perfect where Christ's uh, works were perfect. Mm. That's good. That's well said, Ron. Yeah, it's a good reference to, is it Isaiah who says our, our attempt at good works are like filthy rags, right? In comparison mm -hmm. to the, the goodness, the perfection of Jesus. Yeah. <clears throat> Any, anything else you guys would add or throw in along those lines? Yeah, I, I wanted to add, um, as I was reading Romans 19, 20 last night, and I found out from my reference book that Paul had used direct quotations from the Old, the Old Testament books of Psalms and Isaiah mm -hmm. in parallel with his writings in Romans 3, 10 through 18. Mm. Um, for example, Paul's writings in Romans 3, 10 to 12 aligns with Psalms 14, 1 to 3, and Psalms um, 53, 1 to 3 as well. Uh, let me read um, <clears throat> Psalms 14. It says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. They have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is none who is there is none who does good, not even one. 
And so um, as I was reading um, uh, Romans last night, um, uh, Paul, you know, um, parallels his writings from 3, 10 to 12 uh, with Psalms and Isaiah. Mm. So he refers back to the Old Testament writings. Yeah. Those are such good connections, Anne. And uh, let's go ahead and do that. Let's read 13 through 18 to make those connections back Mm -hmm. to the Old Testament. But let's hold on to that question John asked, because I think it's a really important question. Um, Because here in a bit, we're going to get to the good news, finally, like the hope of the gospel uh, that Paul introduced all the way back in Romans 1, the power of the gospel to say we're going to get there. And maybe to end our time, I think that would be great to circle back to, okay, um, we got to be careful we don't just love throwing out the idea, hey, everybody's a sinner, no one's good. Um, how do we respond to the person who says, well, I, I feel like I've done some pretty good things in my life. Well, how, how do we put the, the power of the gospel to save in front of people in a way um, that, that reveals and explains that? So let's circle back to that because that's really, really important uh, where we're going. So somebody read 13 through 18, 13 through 18. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. All right. Thank you, Sean. Uh, And you said that 10 through 12 was a reference back to Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, right? Yes. Do you know, I don't have it in my notes actually here, uh, 13 through 18, he references back to Isaiah. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Um, What I have is 310 to 12. It's Psalms 14, 313 is Psalms 5. 314 is Psalms 10, 315 is Isaiah 59, Okay. 318 is Psalms 36. All right, thank you. Yeah, I mean, this is what I continue to just love more and more about the Bible is just how it's all woven together so, so well. But um, what I like too, even with what the Psalms are doing, even with what Isaiah is doing, and now with what Paul's doing, is they're actually been going even further back to, you know, our favorite true story in Genesis 1 through 3 is you see God create Genesis 1. Uh, what does God create with? His word? Yeah, he creates with the power of his word, right? We, we see this. We've talked quite a bit about this lately that God... And God said, let there be light. And there's 10 speaking creative acts in Genesis 1 alone where God speaks and uh, he creates through his living word. Um, and then uh, God passes on the ability to, to create um, as we're made in his image with words. And so um, James really picks up on this. If, if you want to, in your own time, read James 3. He talks about the power of the tongue. Um, and uh, Paul picks up on it a little bit in Ephesians 4 as well, that with words we can build and create or we can tear down and destroy. Mm-hmm. And so a heart in verses 10 through 12 that is 
not righteous, doesn't understand God, doesn't see God as turned from him, uh, a heart like that will produce words that destroy and um, decreate. And and we know that this is this is the power of what happened in Genesis three, right? Is is one lie taking the truth that that the serpent did in the garden and just twisting it a little bit is that lies are a poison that lead to death. And so we see the power of words that Paul's kind of pulling back onto in a heart that is is um, producing lies. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. And then he, he moves to feet in verse 15. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Uh, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So to Anne's point, he's using some Psalms, some Isaiah. And I think he's really leaning on Proverbs as well. Um, you know, we think of a go-to proverb that I think many of us are familiar in Proverbs 3, that trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean out on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So Psalms, Proverbs, Scripture uses this path language a lot. Where are your feet going? Uh, think of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way mm-hmm. of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. So Basically, where your feet are going is the, the kind of life you're leading and the person you're becoming is stressed in, in Scripture, is your feet, your path. Where are you going? Who are you becoming? And uh, Paul's just clearly laying out. <clears throat> and I think he brings it home, verse 18, there's no fear of God before their eyes. As it says in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you fear God, you'll walk in his good ways down his path with no fear of God in your eyes. You'll take your own path uh, that he describes here in these verses. Anything you guys would add um, before we roll into 19 through 20 thoughts, questions, observations in in those verses? All right, so we take 19 through 20, and we're almost to the good news. I'm, I'm trying to clip along a little bit here because I want to get to 21. <laughs> so 19 and 20, who's got us? Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. All right. Thank you, Connie. All right. So I think he he brings it home here in 19 and 20 before getting to the the power of the gospel to save in 21. Um, What do you guys think about the phrase, so that every mouth may be stopped? What is Paul saying there? I think he's talking about false teachers that that are... They're giving not, you know, maybe uh, whitewashing the truth or not giving the truth at all. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think he's still addressing every human, though. I think I think he's still going after false teachers, maybe part of it. But I think he's also going after um, every human that is trying to argue with God in maybe to John's question earlier. But I've done some pretty good things. I'm a pretty good person. Right. And he's saying, man, when you and I stand before Jesus, the just judge, our, I, I think 
our mouths will be stopped, will fall on our face, and we will feel the weight of our unrighteousness for, for those who, who have not been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Every mouth will be stopped in that moment. There's, there's no argument or nothing to say against God's judgment. We feel really confident, I, and I'm, I'm saying we as in humanity. I think humans feel really confident about how good we are until we're in the presence of God and we mm-hmm. see His perfection, His holiness, and uh, our mouths will be stopped. Um, anything else you guys see in there? <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, to John's question, if we... Oh, my computer just went off. There it goes. Um, to John's question, if we step back a little bit, you know, he asked the question, what do we say to people who who say, hey, I, I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm, I'm religious, I do these good things. The question is, what is good? Hmm. What, what, is, what, do we, what do we believe is good? And, and, and actually, I'm, I'm going to throw that out to the class. What, what, what do you think Paul is referring to when he says good? Hmm. A lot of pressure on the Genesis class right here. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, somebody, come on. <laughs> well, God said after he created the earth, he looked upon it and said, this is good. And that, you know, it is, it is I mean, good is, the, it's perfection. That God saw it and he was pleased. Yeah. Ron, I really like that you, you brought that, that in because <clears throat> that's, that's exactly what Paul's getting at is, is the good. He's, when, when, when God said he looked upon creation and it is good, um, he's saying that what he's created is now doing what it was intended to do, how he created it to, to, to function. And, and Paul is now saying that we, we are not doing that. And, and what, is that, what does that good mean? What does the good mean? We, 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 we put ourselves against the standard of other people. I'm, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. Therefore, I'm good. But the truth is, when we put ourselves to the standard of God and how he created us to, to, um, uh, to reflect his image, uh, we see that there is none good. Well, again, when we, when, we, when we compare ourselves to other people from a human perspective, um, we, we tend to believe that we're good. But the, the law being the reflection of God's perfection mm-hmm. is the good standard that we're to to uphold to and paul saying none of us do mm. that not a single person john okay. or go ahead Ron. No, I, I think that i would you know, going back to john's question i think i would have would answer that in saying to the person who says well i do good things da, 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 da. i said are your good things that you have done do you do you feel that they are good enough to to abolish all the sin of all mankind, you know, past, present, and future. And are you willing to do these goods to bring uh, salvation to your enemy who's done bad to you, or is it just for you? And so, and then I just point to the area that how much, what Jesus, I mean, he died for everyone, all sins. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that is, shows our need for Jesus, not our works that, you know, again, that it's the, I, I I would have a hard time, you know, uh, laying my life down for somebody, an enemy, someone who's done me wrong, but Jesus was the, the perfect sacrifice in that area. And 
put all his human things aside. I mean, even in the garden, he was saying, Lord, if, if this be your will, please let this cut pass, but it, your will be done. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's, again, the question to say, are your, your good works good enough to save your enemy and your entire world of their mm -hmm. transgressions and sins? Mm -hmm. or, or Ron, how about are your good works good enough to save you? True. So forget everybody else. How right. about just you? Mm -hmm. do, yeah, do, do, do your do you reflect God after at God's attributes in a way that that upholds the law perfectly? The perfect law of God, and the answer is absolutely not. Mm -hmm. And that's what Paul's saying. None of us can do that. And that's where he talks about you know judge not lest you be judged. Now and I said to Sean this week that there's inevitably it has happened before where I go and think to myself, well, this person I'm working with doesn't do this, and you know all these mm -hmm. things happen. That day, I will get questioned by my boss about the same thing mm -hmm. that I'm questioning this other person about. So I think that it's, you know, it's, it be careful when we are, you know, touting our own good works because they will be brought into question by someone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good. I, think we, I, have another, I have another question as well. Um, in verse 20, he says, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. What does that mean? Yeah, that's good. Um, I want to get to that. Ah, we'll go there now. Um, John, you had something you want to throw in? Oh, uh, just real quick. I, you know, looking at my own life, um, I think we're deceived by um, our uh, compassions or, or good works and um, that... Um, we feel built up and, and righteous when we do good things. Um, imagine um, uh, a scenario, it may or may not have happened to you, but, um, you know, driving past a, say, for instance, a homeless person, you know, on your way to work every day and begin to um, have a sense of compassion on that person. And then you finally make the decision, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go help this person and, um, I'm going to uh, get them a McDonald's meal. And when you pull over, you get this, you know, you get the meal and you pull over and you hand it to them and they look up at you and say, I don't need your food. And they begin to curse you. Um, what immediately can happen is that that compassion turns to disdain and uh, brutal anger, mm. you know, that I was rebuffed. And so, we're deceived in that we, we think our good works come mm. from a, a higher place, but it's still the flesh in so many ways because you can't have um, compassion and, and rage and anger uh, instantly. Um, uh, you know, the, those two don't go together. And so mm. your works can be quickly rage and, and, and uh, sin. Um, and so we, we begin to think that you know that uh, if that person accepts my my um, my grace or my gift, you know, then that's accounted to me. But if we don't realize that if we we bunch and we're angry and we're even violently, um, uh, you know, thinking that well that person deserves what they get, you know, hmm. that, uh, that that heart is deceptive. It is it is evil. We can't go from compassion to to rage in a heartbeat without mm. having a, de a deceived heart. Mm. 
So I've had that happen to me, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, something, you know, a, a kind and unwanted gift is rebuffed and, and it swells up into uh, disdain and, you know, well, you get what you want. You, you deserve it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John, that rage really reveals our motivation, huh? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a duplicity of the heart. And so to me that, you know, those things show me that, when you're not walking in, in Christ, hmm. um, uh, there's 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 deception and it's it's, it's ugly. Hmm. Yeah, and so hmm. I think that's how I would would probably share <clears throat> to somebody who thinks that they are um, uh, righteous by their works. And certainly there there is a capacity to do good things, but that. Um, that heart, the source of that is is um, um, the flesh, anyway. Mm. Yeah, it makes me think of. I'm just, I think, more and more amazed when I think of Jesus on the cross, and you know, he's taught a number of times in his life to to pray for those who persecute you, right? But then to think of being on the cross and having the very people you created. The very people you put breath into their lungs and are continuing to put breath in their lungs because you're the sustainer of the universe, having those people mock you and taunt you and just outright hate you, and you're there dying on the cross for them. You know, that just how tempting it would be to say, well, forget this. (laughs) You don't even appreciate what I'm doing for you. Um, You know, like... It's one thing to die for somebody who knows they need to be rescued, but it, what about for somebody who hates you and is actually killing you and trying to get rid of you? Um, so yeah, John, that's a really good example. That is of, of just exposing the motives of what's driving that good work, right? Um, yeah, that's good. Well, it's, it's embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you, yeah. 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 Bring something like that into your life. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that in verse chapter seven, I think. Yeah. Right. That's good. Well, Sean. Sean asked about the since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Hey, hold on. uh, We have two people that wanted to say something. Oh, okay. That cut. And go ahead. I was going to say I'm in the same boat as as John. You know, I've. Try to help people, and they've, you know, um, didn't want my help, and so mm-hmm. I've become selective to those I want to help, and it shouldn't yeah. be that way because mm-hmm. Christ wasn't that. He wasn't selective as far as who he was going to save and who he wasn't, and so that's that's kind of sad, and you know, that's just human nature. You know that that really shows that that we are so different from God that. As much as we want to be righteous, we could never be as righteous as Jesus or God. Yeah. That's good. It, it really reveals to us that that our even our attempt at righteousness is selfish, huh? Hmm. That's good. Look, a question I have, and it may have been answered before, when Paul refers in Romans of, of the law, is he referring to the Ten Commandments as the law? Is that what the law is? Mm-hmm. That's what he's referring to. Thank but you. He, I would say in general, 
Um, yeah, we'll leave it there. Unless, Dave, did you have something to add to that? Well, yeah, I'll jump off of that question on to your question, Sean. It's funny, I'm sitting back here like very thankful and frustrated at the same time. Because <laughs> I'm like, man, we got to get to 21. But also, like, you guys got to know that, especially on Zoom, it's really awkward when it's quiet and you're just teaching for an hour to, like, a computer screen. So I'm really just thanking the Lord for a class that, like, we love interacting and talking and asking questions. So let's keep doing this. It may mean that we will finish Romans in 2025, but... I, I value the, the conversation, so I appreciate appreciate our pace. Um, Sean asked the question, since through the law comes knowledge of sin, and Ron, you asked the question of what does it mean by law, and, and Paul will use it several, uh, use the word law a lot, and he'll mean kind of different things in different contexts, but, but typically, uh, as we know it, the law is Genesis through Deuteronomy. So um, the, the, especially the Jews listening in here would know that uh, the law is considered Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, um, kind of narrowing even more. Uh, oh, well, okay, in those first five books, there's somewhere around 613 laws that are laid out for the people of Israel. So that's kind of known as the law. But the Ten Commandments are specifically, you know, what, what God lays out that could be considered the law. And to Sean's point, how does the through the law come the knowledge of sin is the law kind of does three things for us, um, for every human, really, is first of all, it shows us what's right. And so it, it lays out, here's God's will. Here's, here is uh, what is good right? To do this, to not do this. Here's what is good. And then the second thing it does in light of that uh, is it shows us what's wrong. So it shows us what's right in that, hey, here's here's what's good. And then it functions like a mirror where we look into it. And then kind of to John's McDonald's example, right? The, when we truly look at the law of God, and then we measure our heart and our motives and our actions in light of the law of God, we see that Something's wrong within ourselves. So in a sense, think of the law as, as the window through which we see the goodness of God, the, the righteous standard of God. But it's also this mirror that reflects back and we say, whoa, I am not good. I am not righteous according to God's good standard. Um, and then the third thing is it begins to point to what's needed. So what's right, what's wrong, and what's needed is what the law does is it says, well, shoot, if if this is the perfect standard of God and my heart's over here, there's a huge gap between the goodness of God or what we'd call the glory of God and my own goodness or lack of. There's a huge gap there that needs to be filled. So now it creates this need within us. I need something or I need someone to do for me what I cannot do for myself. So the law all along is just pointing to a greater need that you and I have. Um, Sean, Sean, Johnny, anybody, would you add anything along those lines of what the law is doing there? No, I think that was well okay. said, Dave. And I think that's so when, so back to the original phrase, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin is the law awakens within us um, this realization, whoa, I fall short. 
I thought I was pretty good, but I am not in comparison. I'm a sinner in comparison to the, the righteous standard of God. So, all right, here we go. We might get a verse in, but we're going to get to 21. Uh, somebody read uh, 21 for us, which continues this idea of law for us. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. All right. So right away, you see, this is important anytime we're reading the word, kind of these transitional thoughts. Anytime you see the word therefore along scripture, uh, that typically represents, hey, there's a change going on in the the argument. Um, This is a significant shift. In verse 21, he says, but now, so that's, there's a shift going on here and kind of two things, a shift in Paul's argument, but also a a shift he wants us to realize in uh, kind of the transition in salvation. Um, This very, very important here that's going to, he's going to pick up and lay out um, that he's introducing. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So, Ron, to your question earlier, what's he mean by the law? I think he brings a little more clarity here in 21 of the law, we would say, is Genesis through Deuteronomy and then and then the prophets, right? Um, the Old Testament during the time of Jesus was kind of broken up into kind of three big segments. They would call it the, the law, the prophets, and the writings. And uh, so you would kind of have what we would call... Genesis through Deuteronomy, you would have the prophets, and then in the middle you have what maybe today we would call wisdom literature of Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Job actually falls in there. Um, <clears throat> but um, what do you maybe Sean? Would you mind chipping in there? What's he saying by uh, it's been the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. I'm not taking that. You're not taking. Oh, leave me hanging. Uh huh. I thought we were (laughs) co-teaching. Okay. No, you're good. No, I'll. I'll, I'll, I was just messing with you. Okay. Um, I think think we're gonna now see that that um, as 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 Dave has expressed that he's looking forward to getting to the good news Mm -hmm. and the good news um, being that the righteousness of God being manifested, that word manifested, I think is key. We're going to see how the good news that we no longer are um, bound to the law that Paul's going to get through later on in, in, in five and six, I believe it is that through Jesus being manifested, we no longer are held to that standard or we no longer we're, we're righteous standing in front of God rather than unrighteous. Righteous being, again, in right standing uh, in conjunction with the law. And so the manifestation apart from the law is Jesus mm-hmm. giving us life. Jesus restoring our righteousness to God. Well, so Is that what you're looking for, Dave? I was so glad I had you say that, not me. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, and then the phrase there at the end, the law and the prophets bear witness to it, to what, to, as he introduced in the earlier in the verse, to the righteousness of God. So once again, just that reminder that, uh, the law, uh, points us to the righteousness of God. It's that window into 
his character and his goodness, while it also reflects back to us our lack of. Um, and so now somebody pick up verse 22 for us. Verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. All right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, go ahead and read 23 too. Sorry, I didn't mean to chop that up. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All right. All right, so he's he's beginning to introduce this idea of, okay, there's a righteousness of God uh, that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, we'll, we'll save this for next week uh, when we are going to get more into this idea of faith. What does it mean to be made righteous through faith in Christ? Not faith in ourselves, not confidence in our ability to uphold the law or do good works, but what does faith mean? Uh, or righteousness through faith in Christ and Christ alone. What does that look like? What does that entail? We'll, we'll dig into that quite a bit. Maybe a, a thought to end on. I, I really appreciate where Sean was going earlier um, with the idea of good, his definition biblically all the way back to Genesis 1 of good. If Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Sean, but to be good is, is to serve um, its intended purpose, right? Is so when God says, I created this, I made it, and it is good, it means I made this and now it's serving the, the purpose I intended for it, right? And when you think of goodness that way, it's it's a really neat connection to the glory of God. So our purpose as human beings, right? We'll get into this next week, is to image, reflect the glory of God. Well, how do we do that? by serving our intended purpose to be good. So God has made us good. He's called us to be good. And when we serve and live within that purpose, it brings him glory. So good to be good in the image of God and to bring him glory are are inseparable. So when we are not good, we fail our purpose of being human. When we are not good, we're failing the purpose of imaging or reflecting the glory of God. And so God is at work to restore and to redeem us to his image. And the the perfection, the pinnacle of his image is his son. As it says in Hebrews that Jesus is the exact representation of God. Uh, the reflection of his glory. And so God is at work, which I can't wait, as you can tell, to dig in next week. Uh, God is at work to restore us to the image of his son, Jesus, through the work of Jesus on the cross, so that we might be restored to being good in his image to reflect his glory as we fill the earth with his glory. So that's where we're headed. I hope, <laughs> um, but uh, who knows? We won't be here a while. So, uh, guys, any questions, thoughts, uh, things you want to make sure we we dig into next time? Hey, we put that uh, the, uh, your acronym Rust in the note in the Google Notes, so it's out there, so we can. I can do that. I can Thank do you. that. Absolutely, absolutely, guys. Um, all right. Um, well, I like that. I think it was important. We spent some time today talking about, um, yeah, what, what's it mean to be good? What's it mean to not to be not good? 
and how do we as humans grasp that and then also communicate that with others. Um, but yeah, we can call it a morning there. We'll pick up again probably verse 21 and read through and then see if we can get uh, through the rest of the chapter together. Um, here, here's some homework I'll, I'll leave all of us with. It'll, I think, prepare us well for next week. Go back, um, read Exodus 34, 5 through 7 again sometime this week. So Exodus 34, 5 through 7. You know what? As I'm thinking about this, I'm just going to pile us with homework because it, it'll be worth it. <laughs> um, and then read Leviticus chapter 16, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Leviticus 16. So Exodus 34, 5 through 7, and then Leviticus 16. And then just come ready to share maybe some thoughts you see of how those passages might connect forward to this Romans 3, 21 through 26 passage. So Exodus 34, 5 through 7, and Leviticus 16. If you just maybe reread Leviticus 16 a couple times this week, uh, you're going to see some really beautiful connections Paul is making um, back to this, what we call the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16. So, all right, uh, let's call it a morning together. Um, Sean, would you be willing to pray for us? Yeah. All right, thanks. Uh, Father, we, um, and we thank you for another day above ground, another day to reflect you. Mm-hmm. Um, we thank you for your holiness and, and, and showing us through the law um, how we fail at, at being good is defined in, in, in Genesis. And so we ask that you soften us, um, incline us to you, incline our hearts to, to be good, mm. to seek after Jesus as the answer for our, for our salvation and not look to ourselves to, um, as, as Scripture says, no one is righteous. And that means if no one is righteous, that to redeem us, um, Jesus has to be the answer. So we ask again that this, um, man, this lands well with us, that, that we take this to heart, that we move forward in sharing your word and the good news of Jesus with, with all we come across. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Appreciate y'all. Have a good Thursday morning. Yeah. Take care, guys. Bye, guys.